This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Professor Otti Omalo, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thank you very much, Jeremy. And, uh, thank you for uh, giving us an opportunity to give the true and full story of the man we regard as a, a giant. What is your background, Prof? Well, I'm an ordinary man. <laughs> My background is um, in the education field, in the cultural field, and in the literary field. I've known uh, Ndwana, as we call Prince in Zulu, for over 54 years. Sure. We come from the same section of uh, the province, which is KwaZulu Natal, and it used to be called Natal. Uh, my background is that of uh, traditional, back, uh, traditional setting as well as Christian upbringing. So uh, I like Zulu history, so I like Zulu culture. I've written uh, about Zulu culture, I've written stories and poems, essays in the Zulu language, read from a great tour to university over my lifespan. I was uh, introduced to Mdwana Prince Butelezi, I think in 1959, but wow. I became very close to him uh, about 1961. He was outstanding uh, for us in the province because he was able to go to university. He had parents who wanted him to learn as much as he wanted. At uh, the time he went to university, many people did not reach a metric level. And if they did, they were very, very appreciative of that. But uh, Prince Wutelezi had been exposed to his uh, uncle's educational background. And his uncle, who was Pixley Gasseme, who incidentally founded the African National Congress, would dictate to him letters which he wrote to leaders all over the world when he was in matric. And matric he did away from home in a boarding school around Durban, which at that time would take about five hours to get to. And uh, he was exposed to this kind of uh, uh, leadership and uh, um, explaining, uh, analyzing policies, replying to people who would agree or not agree with you, who would make inputs. And he was very young and he was very fortunate uh, to be, if I want to use a, a, a term which other people use, he was a reader uh, to this uh, uh, advocate who was his uh, uh, uncle, Pixley Gassane. After finishing at Fort uh, first when he got to Fort he was exposed to 
young people who were fighting inequalities. And uh, so he joined to the African National Congress Youth League uh, to the extent that, uh, that there was a time that the university could not tolerate some of the things they did. And uh, he was chucked out, out of the university together with other people. And you had to go back to Natal. Was happy to be assisted by his former teachers at Adams College, where he did his high school up to matric. And that person was Dr. Edgar Brooks. He tried to arrange for him to write his examinations outside the university of Forte. And finally, he did uh, succeed to get the papers get an, uh, an invigilator and wrote his uh, BA mergers in what was called the Native Administration of Under Administration and uh, History, and he passed. So he went back to Durban, got employment as a clerk at the uh, local administration office, which is a municipality office by present terms, and uh, he worked for lawyers Cowlin Cowley, and later was uh, uh, admitted to be uh, to do his uh, articles with uh, Rolly Arenstein, who was a guy uh, who was the longest uh, banned person in South Africa for allegedly pursuing communist ideas. But at that time, he was uh, uh, called back uh, to his homestead uh, to function as uh, the head of the clan. Uh, and in Gorsi, at that time, the English called people who were heads of their clans, uh, they called them uh, chiefs. He was very reluctant to go because uh, he wanted to pursue an academic line to be a, 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 an attorney, but he was now called back to go and serve the traditional society that his father had been serving. Uh, because of the insistence of his mother, he did go back uh, to serve as the head of the uh, Botelese clan. The Botelese clan were uh, quite famous in royalty because their heads, their former clan heads, were premiers to the Zulu kingdoms uh, of the past. So uh, he, he served there. Afterwards, he was very instrumental in uh, pointing out uh, issues of inequality, issues of uh, segregation to the extent that he was once arrested for not carrying a pass or an ID book, uh, which was the law in this country, that uh, any time, even when sleeping, a native called there, an African had to carry a pass book in his pocket. Or, uh, uh, and uh, if you were found in town, unable to produce your passport, you are arrested. So they used to point this out. The king at the time, uh, King Cyprian, asked him to assist 
to and serve as premier as uh, Principal Telus's father had served the previous kings. He agreed. That's where then he started really making a significant contribution because uh, Zulu history will show that the English had already downgraded uh, the status of kings. So King Cyprian, as far as the government was concerned, white government was concerned, was an ordinary uh, head of clan like any other. There was no king of kings. They downgraded the position from the time of King Tenuzulu, uh, who could be regarded as Mdwana uh, uh, Mangosutu's grandfather maternal. And he came back from uh, St. Helena. Uh, he was told that you were no longer king of kings, you were only a clan head of your own territory. Uh, at that time, uh, um, Prince Butelezi assisted King Cyprian to do his duties in a way which would benefit not only his clan, but the entire South African, African people. Uh, the white government was interfering and introducing uh, discriminatory policies and wanting to use King, uh, King Cyprian as an instrument. Uh, sorry, what year was this more or less? Uh, in the 1955-56. Right, okay. So, so the height of apartheid uh, hadn't yet arrived. Uh, it had, uh, in 1953, uh, actually the Africaners won their election in 1948. And then they started to implement the policies yes. that they promised their own people and white people uh, in general. In 1953, they uh, implemented the education policy, the mandatory education policy. So they are now, they are now help bent on um, establishing all structures that uh, they had uh, um, uh, postulated when they were campaigning for elections. Uh, they used to call King Cyprian to Pretoria and they wanted him to go there alone. And um, uh, Prince Butelis uh, did not allow it because the Zulu king never goes anywhere alone. And he, he must go with his premier. It was a, a, a very difficult position for the Afrikaners as well as for the Zulus. But we were so proud that uh, we got a man who could stand his ground, who could point out uh, all these uh, atrocities that were performed. But uh, the African government at that time was adamant. And uh, that's uh, about the same time they were um, dangling the question of uh, Bantu stands. I said, because there would be perpetual conflict if people stayed together, not only blacks and whites, but also blacks and blacks, according to cultures, clan affiliations, uh, what used to be called tribes. And uh, King uh, 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 Prima Butele said, this was uh, 
some fabrication. Uh, people could stay together whatever a clan they belonged to. It, is, it was clear that the white government wanted to divide people so that they could rule them. It's, it's very important to note this because they never actually relented. They, they never uh, admitted that uh, they would not succeed to the extent that in late, much later years, even pro-apartheid uh, uh, era, you can, when carefully analyzing uh, situations, detect that their interference and their infiltration, uh, their belief that uh, they could successfully divide black people against one another, did to some extent uh, yield what, them some gain. Th that's what happened between the ANC and the IFP. It was that infiltration. It, it emanates from that exactly, and people were not able to um, And we are back. Prof, you were telling me about the infiltration that occurred uh, that, that caused division between the ANC and, and the IFP, the Zulus. Yes, yes. There has always been a lot of intelligence um, by the white people uh, trying, any, uh, trying to um, dilute uh, any influence, trying to dilute any efforts by able leaders, and then afterwards setting the different groups against uh, uh, one another. They would not even believe that uh, um, uh, Prince Butelezi was writing letters to um, Mr. Mandela while he was in prison. But their greatest shock and, uh, was the fact that uh, when Prince Butelezi could have taken that independence, he said, no way. And he would not even participate in any discussions which were talking about the future of South Africa until people on exile would be unbent and would be allowed to get back to the country and participate. He said, until Mr. Mandela was released, there would be no participation. Just that critical moment. And he was, as far as we are aware, the only person who was not a member of the NC then, and who was, um, uh, taken as uh, corroborating or, or being soft and um, compromised. But he said, until Mr. Mandela is out, this country will not take proper decisions about South Africa, which should be the right place for the owners of the land for South Africans. Uh, that made them very angry. And uh, they were perpetuating this animosity 
they were feeding people on the other side of Africa, South Africa what uh, um, 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 Prince Mutelezi was doing this side and he was receiving insults from outside and threats that what he was doing this side was being as, uh, selling out the country and on the part of the uh, Zulu people who were and Africans beyond Zulu were working with uh, Prince Wotelezi. They were telling them that the people on the other side were very angry and uh, they, were, they wanted them dead. So they're telling both parties that uh, each one wanted the other one dead. And this was realized afterwards, but the damage had been done and after people have done something for a long time they be, they be, and heard it for a long time, they begin to believe it. The press believed it, academics believed it, uh, workers, I mean, uh, uh, leaders believed it, and books were written, and uh, interviews were conducted. People were very angry because they thought they had genuine information when, which, when they did not have genuine information. Well, on hindsight, many people have realized that uh, what they thought was true was not true. But I want now to dwell on uh, Mdwana Mahosoto's uh, uh, leadership in whatever he was given to lead, uh, what he believed should be done for the sake of the people the limited resources that were at his disposal, what he was able to do with that is phenomenal and is unprecedented. We've seen it in other African uh, countries, we've seen it in South Africa when people had an opportunity now to take the lead and utilize the resources for the benefit of uh, the masses and the majority they have not been able to do what Prince Mangosoto did. Uh, he, within limited resources, was able to use all the money for the purposes that were meant for, for, for those resources. He helped build clinics. He built colleges of education. He built uh, Itala Bank. And uh, he, he built, oh, uh, not now with the government money, but uh, his leadership made it possible for factories to be built in Zululand and beyond Durban. At that time, and of course, uh, I forget the most, um, one of the most uh, uh, structures that he built in institutions was the Mangosoto University of technology. And when he built it, the Africans who did not have any opportunity to study anything that had to do with uh, construction, uh, artisanry, anything. And he asked for some assistance from Mr. Oppenheimer. And I was interpreter on that day when Mr. Oppenheimer visited the Guapindangene Palace, which is uh, Don Abtelis's palace. When he mooted this idea, 
afterwards it took off had only 15 students uh, at, uh, at the beginning today we're talking about 40 students in the 40,000 students in that university we're talking about 42,000 alumni and they're all over occupied by uh, telecom escom mines and big corporations um, in the African setting, in the African township. One of the challenges in the struggle for liberation is that you tend to look uh, for structures, amenities, and the environment of the oppressor. But then the oppressor is refusing to let go his paradise or her paradise. In the meantime, uh, there's a great danger of thinking that where you are, nothing ought to be done. You, know, you need to drift towards this person. Another thing is when the African government said, you go and do your best in your own countries, it sounded like an insult, some kind of degradation. And uh, we believe that the best things will only happen in cities. That they were dri driving us away from cities because they didn't like us. They didn't like us to see uh, the light of uh, modernization. And in some way, unfortunately, ironically, it would, we believe that uh, where we were, there could have been no, there could be no development. I remember that uh, when the Mountain Education Act was implemented and uh, the government said universities will be built near where people are and they are traditional ter territories. People would say, what would university do in a desert? You don't want universities in deserts. You want universities in cities. Universities need to have libraries. They need to, 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 be, explore, to be exposed to modernization. What, what can you learn in a bundu or a desert? Failing to remember that whatever is modernized was once rural. Uh, it's amazing now, it's amazing these days, that even some people who have an opportunity to build certain institutions in cities or towns prefer to go to countryside. So one of also the criticisms of Mtwana uh, Mangosotu um, is that he came from a rural place, from traditional land, from land that was saved from being grabbed by white people, both the English and the Afrikaners, who took all the land through all types of uh, guises, and we, have le we were left with only a portion, and uh, in most cases, land that was full of stones and mountains. To 
the people who were not happy that people in the traditional lands, which were later called homelands, it was not correct, it was not the right thing for Prince Mangosu Tubutelezi to do his best until some people believed that after all, they could do their best to be on their own. Here we have also political ideologies that would like to partition people or throw them into compartments of whether you are democratic, whether you are communist, uh, whether we are any other things according to political uh, uh, groupings. But when you remind people that as Africans, they have something traditional, which, which is basic, which goes beyond divisions of education, beyond the divisions of education, beyond, beyond divisions of religion, beyond, yes, okay, beyond divisions of um, assets, then it's a, it's a threat to other uh, policies. Because it's you something can, bigger. You're you saying it's something bigger. Easy. Yes, you, you can't divide these people. You, mm. Ultimately, when they decide, they go, they go to their own traditional uh, drawing board, you will not be able to divide them. Now, was uh, Schenge, and I believe Schenge was a term that was affectionately given to him, too. Yes, that um, is a phrase name, yes. Um, he was a very principled man, wasn't he? Absolutely, absolutely. A very, very principled. He would not allow people to even to change what they said or deny what they said, and even try to say, no, we're just being strategic. This is actually what we mean. And what he said in this country, he said overseas. What he said overseas, he said in this country. He used to tell us that um, when uh, they go out and uh, uh, with other leaders, the other leaders try and um, talk to him and talk to other guys, look, when we are here, this is the language we should speak. This is the, the point of view we should pursue. This is what we should say in order to be relevant. No. He would say, no, what I say today, I'll always say every, uh, all the time. And uh, what I believe in, I will say I believe in. But he was a very open-minded person. I've never seen a traditionalist who would be so open-minded and would not allow any, any action or word to be uh, directed at other people disadvantagedly on the basis of their race or, or, or clan. Never. Prof, do you think if the 94 election had occurred a few years earlier that he might have become the president? Well, he would not have allowed it because uh, um, there was a lot of fighting and uh, people had not cycled down. 
and uh, he would not he would have been president if he wanted to if he did not insist that people on exile and Mr. Netzman Mandela should be released first he could have easily been president but he would not have liked that kind of uh, dispensation he wanted everybody to be back here uh, if the um, system had uh, adopted the the um, uh, what we call the um, what you call this uh, now uh, it, it, if each province had been independent like in the united states it would federal. have been president yes if it had gone federal which it did propose but was heavily de de debated and uh, finally uh, it, the, the country did not become federal and not because the african people the side that was supporting him wanted you know uh, uh, just to to, to 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 break away from south africa but because they thought it would be more efficient to run a country according to what the beliefs and the philosophies of that particular place yes. were concerned. So yes. in other words, yeah. in other words, the Zulu people should uh, manage their affairs slightly differently to say the people of the Western Cape. Exactly. And, and this time, of course, when you talk about the Zulu people, we are talking about the Zulu people mainly. There are many other people who are not Zulu, who affiliate to Zuluness, and will be open to anybody coming in. And another thing about Schenge, if I'm correct, is that he was a true patriot. He was. He was a patriot. He did so much visibly and invisibly. You will not believe how many people got assistance from him after returning from exile. You will not believe how many people got assistance from him after they had reached some disagreement or so with people in their own respective political parties. You will not believe how many families he supported, regardless of political affiliations. How many bursaries he gave to people who just approached him and would not ask, what is your political ticket? He, he was a true patriot. And was he loved by the Zulu nation? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely adored because he represented so much that is innermost in us, the fineness of the traditional, original, indigenous Zulu spirit. He was such a Christian, he was a late preacher, but he was so adept, so knowledgeable about royalty that some Royal young people, royalty young people, learned so much from him and had this uh, uh, acumen of relating practices and philosophies of uh, the Zuluness to 
to a way of life that transcends our mortal living. We, we believed uh, that he, he would bring together people of different pursuits in life, even spiritual pursuits, even philosophical pursuits, if, even religious pursuits, and will try and draw attention to the commonness of the wonderful being that human beings are, especially in relation to recognizing humanity in other people and in living in such a way that other people would be part of your life so that both of you would have something higher together than you'd ever reached as individuals. Prof, you mentioned that he was a Christian, and I can't help but ask, did he have a very good relationship with the Reverend Erlo Stegen? Oh, yes, he did. He even sent his children to Kwasi uh, Zaband, not just to visit, to stay there. And uh, together, you know, they had something common of uh, valuing the principles that uh, people should learn to be self-supporting, self-reliant. And they demonstrated that. And uh, they lived by example. They would discriminate against no one, but they would encourage people to be principled and to be diligent and to have integrity and to, 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 to respect indigenous knowledge and indigenous practices and merge this with Christianity and acknowledge that God was there before the missionaries. But also even more acknowledge that the arrival of the missionaries had the good had challenges and had the bad. Mm. The good was the educating, uh, education of the people. Some of them went to the extent of uh, being on, on the side of the people like Bishop Colenso, who went to, who, uh, who went beyond imagination, convincing uh, the church that had sent him to South Africa or to Africa that there is in African religion and in Africa, in an African way of life, something which perhaps is even superior to what was happening in England. And that it was wrong to judge people by practices that they follow and which you don't follow and you don't have reasons to then say they're living an inferior life. And he was excommunicated from his church, that Bishop Collins. And there are many others. And, uh, but there were also, in the course of history, those who were infiltrated by governments and started 
talking the language of governments, justifying the taking away of people's land. Mm. But uh, he was very close to to, to uh, uh, Reverend Stegen. He was close to other outstanding leaders in in South Africa who were also white. Uh, just want to point out the uh, the the importance of uh, uh, this kind of uh, the contribution that he made. On several occasions, he represented the Anglican Church of South Africa in Canada. He went to see the Bishop of Canterbury. He was very useful in synods. And I want to believe that whites who were exposed to his influence and speeches and who watched how he lived did get positive, positively tarnished and began to look at an African in a different way. Uh, you know that uh, there has been uh, segregation and inequality in many spheres of uh, African and uh, white people's lives. At one time, uh, white priests in certain churches received 1,200 rand a month a stipend, and blacks received 700. Uh, to make people believe that uh, uh, it is not right, that uh, everybody's human. Mm. They needed to see some samples to the extent that I believe that uh, by serving as a, a person at the head of the uh, legislature in KZN, in KwaZulu-Natal, even though he had not accepted independence, the budget that he got and the speeches that he made, the arguments he got into with the Afrikaner uh, minister then must have contributed to the conviction of some of the white people mm. that after all, if black people return from ex exile, if black people get an opportunity to lead and to talk about the budget, etc., etc., they will not come upon us. They will not destroy us. They will not all marry our daughters, which was a great fear, incidentally, that if uh, Africans were allowed to go to the same churches, to the same schools, to the same restaurants, overnight, all white girls would be married to black people. But they got convinced, I think, gradually, psychologically, <laughs> that everything was just going to be normal. And it proves that their fears were in vain. Prof, why then, if he was such a principled, generous, loving, Christian, traditional man, does the media hate him so much? Yes, the media does hate him. Some of the reasons we know, 
perhaps others we don't know. But we know that the, that the media wants hype all the time. We know that the media would not like to report on whether on, on the incident that uh, the dog beat a human being. They want a, a, a case where a human being beat the dog. So they would always like to um, exaggerate and uh, they would always like something which makes people want to read more and uh, something which will have a life of uh, either fear, expectation, intimidation, and uh, not being settled. The media, unfortunately, also does get tainted by uh, people who have their own agendas. And they get the media to focus and even sometimes to create situations just so that the public could continue to buy whatever the media is selling. The media is also unfortunately a victim of powerful people who have agendas to, to own more than they own and to grab what belongs to other people. And they have uh, uh, adopted strategies and even created uh, ways of dislodging communities and societies and nations. And they do it through the, the, the media. The media is able, after hearing what I've said now, to get at somebody mm. and say anything which people can believe but surely can destroy the person who poses as a, an opposition to the media. Some members of the media do accept and admit afterwards that unfortunately we ceased to be professional. We succumbed mm. to other agendas. They, they do say that. And, and until people also are vigilant and diligent to tell their story locally and have supporters and also publicize what they're doing, the, ne the ne negativity will always be promoted. It is unfortunate. But, uh, and it's also, the media is a new thing in Africa. Africa has suffered from the media so much. You do know, uh, Jeremy, that uh, in the African uh, belief system, a word is a very important medium of not only communication, but accepting which you need to put around you and use to be part of what you need to be what you want to be. Mm. One of the 
really interesting things which I usually point out uh, uh, to my communities and when I do some Africology lectures is that how older people are suffered and hustled, suffer and are hustled by the fact that when you tell a story or when they watch something on the media or when they've listened to the news, suddenly there's an advert mm. without a, a precursor which says, this is now an advert. And it continues to be the truth. You could say, look, there are simpletons. Why can't they differentiate between the, what is news and what is now an advert? But a word to an African is much bigger than just uh, a pronouncement. Once you've said such and such a thing has happened, and then you talk about something which could happen and has not happened, you are advertising. Mm -hmm. It's going to take a generations to immediately distinguish between a word that is untrue and a word that is hypothetical or that is fiction if it comes from the source which usually tells you things as they are anyway what deviating shenge died at the very young age of 95 not so long ago what can we learn yes. from him he worked until the last moment about a month or just less than a month before he went to hospital. He gave me 32 pages typed in English, which I had to translate into Zulu. And he would edit every word, even when he was not able to sit upright. He would edit what I had written and would edit what he had written so that he would perhaps find even a better way he had an amazing collection of vocabulary, just amazing. And the amazing ability to, ability to use words. We can learn that you don't live for yourself, you live for others. We can learn that you can forgive because there are so many people he forgave who had hurled insults against him when they're outside this country. You can learn that even people who pose as your enemies can say something that is right and you need to listen to them. You can learn that your encounter with people should not be determined by where they stay, what degree they possess, and uh, what religion they belong to. Just take them as human beings. We have learned that work, working hard does not kill. <laughs> we have learned that you can spend all your life putting the other person first and you following. We have learned that when something is wrong and ought not to be said, you intervene and oppose it, 
even if it is said against your enemy. In Parliament, he defended people who sometimes had had very low regard of him for no reason. But when something was unbecoming, expressed against them, he would stand up and say, this is not what ought to be done. We have learned that it is good to be principled. He was very principled. He was very loyal. Very loyal to what he believed in. And did not fear to correct anybody who did not do something which is correct. We have learned that one person can leave behind so much that we are now trembling whether we'll be able to do something, just a fraction, and carry on the baiting. Are those shoes that he's left behind very big to fill? Very, very big to fill, but we must keep them visible so that they are our reminder that once there was a person who could fill them and we try whatever space we can occupy them with and carry on. And we also learned that not that oppressors don't always say fatal things. Try and get the best from anywhere from anywhere and you may be able to build your own kingdom of wisdom don't say you will not listen to anybody <laughs> <laughs> professor i want to thank you so much for your time uh you are a man of great wisdom i've thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you god bless you and and thank you for sharing uh your story of uh Schenge with me You'll be blessed. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.